Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Cultura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts oh hi i'm rachel zoe and my podcast climbing in heels is back and better than ever you might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The following episode contains disturbing and graphic accounts of survivor experiences. It may not be suitable for younger audiences. Please listen with care. Turning 18. For almost every person alive, this birthday is a milestone. A graduation of sorts. You are finally an adult. For students that age out of PCS, it's the moment they finally escape their prison. But freedom has a price. And getting back to normal is much harder than it seems. The day my therapist said, what would you like to do? And I said, get the hell out of here. And they let me go. And I'll never forget the day one of the counselors drove me to Salt Lake City Airport and put me on that plane. Um, it was like I'd won the lottery. Yeah, I mean, I, I uh, wow. I can't, uh, can't even tell you the feelings that come over you when, you know you're getting away from it. You know you're finally getting away from it. And then for the rest of my life, it was with me. I could never get rid of it. Stress is normal for humans, and we need a certain amount of it to function. But extreme prolonged stress is extremely bad for any possible mental health and physical outcome. And so when you've taken a person and put them into a stressful setting where they have no social support and taken away their social support at home, um, and then you take them out of that setting, you are creating a recipe for trouble. From iHeartRadio, London Audio, and executive producer Paris Hilton, this is Trapped in Treatment, we're your hosts, Rebecca Mellinger and Caroline Cole, one troubled teen industry survivor and one investigator. 
on a mission to expose the truths of an industry plagued by controversy and to make sure that no child has to experience the hell that is teen treatment. From the moment you enter Provo Canyon School, you're counting the days, minutes, and hours until your release. Many dream for months about the day they would finally go home, the day that they could go for a walk, lay in bed for an extra hour, or pick up the phone and call a friend. For me, dreaming was the only way that I got by. Maybe it was because of the facility that I went to, we weren't allowed to talk, but All I did was daydream of those final moments when I would walk out the front doors and never look back. Paris shared a really similar experience. I was there for 11 months, so it was just, uh, it was like I never knew when I was going to be able to have, you know, freedom again or to like go outside or see light or anything. So the only thing that kept me sane was just thinking about, you know, I'm going to work so hard. I'm going to become so successful that. You know, no one will ever control me again. No one's going to tell me what to do. My parents, anyone, no one would ever be able to control me ever again. And that was just what I would think about and dream about. What a lot of people don't realize is that when you go into a facility like this, everything is put on hold. Your relationships, your hopes, your dreams, your goals, everything is absolutely stopped in its tracks. So frequently, what many people do is they end up just falling into this dream state where you just imagine doing normal things, having a normal life, taking out the trash, petting your dog, right? And so I had journals and journals and journals that were absolutely full of these elaborate fantasies of how I would live my life when I got out. There's so much buildup on going home, but for many survivors, including myself, it often turns out nothing like what we had spent our time dreaming about. We talked to Jack about what it was like to be home and how it felt. Explain to me, what was it like finally leaving Provo? And what happened after? Man... Uh, leaving there was one of the biggest reliefs of my life. Um, it was scary because I was feeling like they were going to put me into another facility like that. I didn't know what was going to happen, but I knew getting out of there was going to be probably one of the best feelings of my life. It was. Um, I mean, it's right up there with my daughter being born and me getting married. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, it, you can't really describe the feeling, you know, I mean, you know, I've been in and out of the jail situation, you know, whatever. I mean, that felt good, you know, just because, you know, my freedom was taken away and whatnot. But when it comes down to, you know, being under that kind of trauma and everything, and then not being told what to do every five seconds, you know, and the whole aspect of every life being controlled and manipulated, it's a strange, but like huge weights lifted off your shoulders feeling. You know, it's, it's pretty undescribable. For Courtney Konopasek, everything was different when she got home. I was so excited, but I also didn't think it was real because I had like eight days. I got told, like, 
your family's pulling you. Um, and so I didn't believe it at first, but my parents finally came and picked me up. Still wasn't sure if they were going to take me with them. Um, but then I got home. I remember writing in my journal, like I'm, I'm back in Illinois. Like I must be leaving. Um, it was very weird because the places I went to encouraged my parents to change everything, like leave nothing the same. So my entire room was different when I got there. Like I didn't have like my safe place when I got there. It felt really weird. Uh, so I never really felt like I came home, if that makes sense. And I was just afraid of everything. Like they made me fear the staff members at the school, not my parents per se. Um, I feared my friends. I feared doing anything wrong. I was terrified that I was just going to go right back there because there were a lot of kids that it was their second time around when they were there. Like they got home and then, because they don't prepare us for literally anything, um, we got right back there. The fear of being sent back is a really common one. And being in the program, you would see kids get sent back and it was just pure devastation. The program that I had attended had a policy that would allow three free months if a parent felt that they needed to send the child back. And so at this point after I had been released, my mom and I were not seeing eye to eye. We were getting into arguments over little things. And I, at the time, was working at a small ice cream shop and my mom had picked me up. And she had a duffel bag in the back seat that already had my belongings in it with my initials written on everything. And she told me that she was sending me back to the program. At that time, I fell apart. I started hysterically crying. I told her that I was gonna throw myself out of the car. I was going to run. I was going to do anything possible to not be sent back. That was literally a nightmare come true. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s. She looked like a million bucks. With zero qualifications. She had a Harvard plaque. Tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. That this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately $11 million. Nearly $10 million was all gone. 
employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich men, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation. I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating. And a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am so utterly shocked by the fact that the facility actually had an incentive to parents to send kids back by offering them three months. That is crazy. Well, and it was considered somewhat of like a warranty, right? We guarantee our program works, and if it doesn't, then you get so many months free. But they knew that once they got you back in that program, they would always make recommendations for you to stay longer. So ultimately, they would be making money back. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense, because after months in that strange, strictly controlled environment, getting out can cause such a serious shock because these kids better understand living in an institution than living at home. I mean, what was dreamed about as the day of freedom is such an awkward, uncomfortable, and overwhelming feeling now. So basic behaviors in the real world are so unfamiliar. And for those that age out at 18, I mean, they're now officially adults. They are emotionally and mentally unprepared for the realities of what the real world is out of like the hostel they put me up for that month and um i was 18 years old i had an id because my parents had the foresight of asking pcs to go get me a like a a, an actual state id in utah so that was katie mack otherwise known as Catherine. you guys have heard from her before for her the freedom was like a drug in itself after months without choice she found herself inundated with options And I remember just being like, oh, my God, like nobody is around to tell me what to do or to tell me what to say or to punish me. Like it was like it was like that Shawshank Redemption moment where he gets out and he's just like in the rain. It was kind of like that. I I remember I, I had no. So I've never smoked before at that point or anything like that. And I remember being like, I'm 18 years old. I'm just going to go. I I have no interest in smoking, but I'm going to go and buy a pack of cigarettes and just try them just to try them. And I did, and they're horrible, and I don't smoke. But uh, I remember doing that just to be like, you know, like I was thinking to myself, PCS would be so angry right now. Like if they saw this, they would think that I was a complete failure because I smoked one cigarette. But I'm just doing it to say I do it. Um, and I, I did, um, I did uh, make it through that month. There, like that month, it was. I was so like getting out of Provo Canyon School the second time. I had like no sense of like self like understanding like street smarts and stuff. I just remember being like having a little bit of a panic attack being inside too much. Preferring to sleep outside under the stars, she found any sort of constraint unbearable. So I slept on the beach most of the time for that month. Like I literally, it was a 
August in Santa Monica, it was warm. I just slept on the beach and just was like, oh my God, this is freedom. What's like, I've never had this before. The freedom was great, but there were lingering effects from the program, specifically when it came to being controlled in any way. Like I noticed like right away, like after PCS, like, like the idea of being restrained or like having, you know, the control taken away from my life, because I like right away, like it's, I started having like a physical effect on me of whenever I felt like that. So I remember going in a job court for the first time and they were like, you won't be able to leave for the first two weeks. This is your room with other people and da, da, da. And it felt like almost like Provo Canyon schoolish. So I ended up like running out of there, like my first day. I didn't even spend the first night there. And, you know, I, I struggle, I would say that I struggled a lot. Um, like I had all this like trauma and stuff. Like I like unprocessed and I just didn't know how to handle. And like, I, yeah, this is probably where, like, when I see celebrities or other survivors that like struggled through their twenties, like I totally feel it because like, I didn't know how to keep a job or stay responsible or like I acted out like in ways that I never did as my teenage years, because I like in my early twenties, because like, I didn't know how to handle it. I was like, I was, I had all this unresolved stuff in my head and like, like trauma that I just, I did not know how to, how to cope with. Many don't know how to handle it. They end up suppressing their experience at Provo just to get by and quite frankly, want to forget that it even happened to them. We asked Maya Salovitz why that is. One of the ways that human beings deal with trauma is just to put it out of their mind and try to forget about it and never think about it again. And people do that when they survive, you know, Holocaust or, um, you know, any kind of extreme sort of situation. They're just like, okay, that happened. It was terrible. I'm never going to think about it again. Um, I'm going to move on. And for some people, that's actually healthy. Um, For others, it's not. The other thing is, if you just haven't been able to process what happened, and you just want to get on with your life and, and you know, do well in school and, and you know, get ready for a career and, and do whatever you, you know, wanting to do, um, you're just kind of discombobulated. You don't, you know, it's, it's very hard for you to, you know, think about what's happened. The reality waiting outside is harsh on youth who have spent a lot of time without basic human interaction. On top of that, an environment of constraint, manipulation, and abuse heightened anti-authoritarian attitudes and leave many on a worse path than before they enrolled at the school. For Natalie Krim, whose story we heard in episode two, it meant watching her brother Michael begin to exhibit signs of extreme aggression. I think it was, he came home and, you know, it was hard for him to adjust and he immediately started getting into, you know, selling drugs and having this, you know, anti-authority attitude. He was, had such a high threshold, I think, for violence at that point and such a high threshold for trauma that he was in situations that, um, you know, were, were just unsafe. And he, um, When he came home, he started selling drugs, and then he ended up in jail a year and a half later. Wow. So he went to L.A. County a year and a half later after he got home from Provo. So if anything, I I feel like it made a situation um, a million times worse. 
At that point, Michael had never shared what he went through with his sister. It wasn't until seven or eight years later that he broached the topic with her. He didn't start telling me until I had um, moved out of the house um, pretty much at the first opportunity that I could. And I moved back east and it wasn't until maybe, let's see, probably eight or seven years later when we really just had to sit down. I remember we were at a restaurant in Brooklyn and we sat down and he just started telling me um you know some of the details and even up until this point you know he's still i can tell that there's still a lot more that that he's just opening up about i used to have so many men how this beguiling woman in her 50s she looked like a million bucks with zero qualifications she had a harvard plaque tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. That this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million? Approximately $11 million. Nearly $10 million was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich man, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody, welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation... I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Michael Krim went into Provo at 16. 
and left when he turned 18. Many survivors share a similar experience with the bulk of their adolescent and teen years spent behind the walls of a program. They are ill-prepared, and instead of being fixed, like the program had promised, they often spiral into a compounded pattern of trauma coping, sometimes resulting in addictions, homelessness, isolation, additional diagnoses, abusive relationships, and inability to enjoy life. And in the midst of all that, the one place these young people should be able to turn to is their family. But Provo took that away from them too. So I kind of knew I was going home, but I wasn't going home. I definitely had complete detachment with for my parents at that point. I mean, I think which is completely normal for a child who has been separated from their parents for three years. All of a sudden you start to realize maybe that attachment is not necessary. And even now talking to my husband um, about all of this and um, he, he brought up when we argue, I'm like, I'm just going to leave. Anytime I, you know, we argue or have problems, we've been together for seven years. And, but I think it's from then, from then I've always been like, oh, I'm just going to leave. I'm just going to leave. I'm just going to leave that. Cause I've always felt that, that it, I can just pick up and go because we learned those skills kind of just to survive with what little you have and it'll be okay, I guess, if you just keep going. It wasn't easy. I mean, I, I had problems when I came home. I, I attempted suicide once. I went to a mental hospital when my, I got in a fight with my mother and she told me she was going to send me back. And I took an entire bottle of Risperdal. <laughs> and, um, but that was because she told me she was going to send me back. And I, I was so scared. I didn't want to go back. So you end up, leaving, going to Southern California. What is your relationship with your parents like now? Um, for a number of years, I've never really been able to um, contact with my mother. She's very hot and cold. Uh, I'm, I've always been, um, maybe just the way I was raised or the values I have. When something happens, I believe very strongly in family. Um, my father, my stepfather passed away a few, a few years ago. And my mom called me and told me that she needed help. We hadn't, we'd barely spoken in years. Um, and, but I helped, I dropped everything. I went there and I helped and I helped him and I helped her. And I just did that and I helped them. But then, you know, she kind of flips super easy. My mother um, is an alcoholic and she always has been. So it's real um, hot and cold. My father, um, has been sober for 20 years and found God and found forgiveness and real life experiences. And he and I can talk openly and it's nice. We went and saw Elton John together two years ago. It was the most religious experience I've ever had. <laughs> it was just full of Gucci and my dad. And it was like, we were like right up center. It was so beautiful. And, you know, he's great. And I get my work ethic from him and just little things like that. But my mother still thinks I'm insane. My brother thinks I'm also insane. We have a horrible relationship. Yeah. But, but other than that, it's just, I know I'm not crazy and that's okay with me. Well, I think it's so common with people who've been to facilities like this that you see these very 
tense and estranged family dynamics to say the least this is like me being very euphemistic about some of these family dynamics but it's true and so i think as an adult uh a lot of us can look back and say like ah that's why that's why that happened it wasn't me it wasn't because there was necessarily anything wrong with me or because i even really needed any kind of treatment if we want to call that uh treatment you know you can look at the family dynamics and see what led up to that i really feel like whoever came up with those ridiculous campaigns in the late 80s and early 90s to like in magazines they were in sunset magazine send your child here like who did that who thought that was a great idea i mean it was a different time when things were like so much more simpler than today and it's I really feel like if our parents would have just been taught to be parents more rather than in the 80s, they were really, it was more about partying and like being successful and building up the successful ladder in, it wasn't really family values. The family value was not really taught to that generation. It was really skipped and I don't believe it was bad, but it was, um, missing. Uh, they, it was that, oh, we can hire somebody. Oh, we don't need to. Oh, this is how we were raised. Aaron, I believe strongly it wasn't needed. It, it, we could have had parents. Somebody could have like, <laughs> I could have gone to boarding school. It probably would have been better. <laughs> Um, because really I don't have the only psychological issues I have today are caused by anxiety. I've had a lot of mental health testing and I've seen doctors and I've been diagnosed with extreme social anxiety brought on by childhood trauma. It's from being brought to Provo Canyon school, dropped off my parents and then nothing when I was a teenager. going through childhood trauma is such an injustice because then from the very beginning you're coping instead of you know flourishing or thriving in your life or having excitement over which school am I going to go to or making friends or doing these different things that are truly about character building right from the very beginning you're just kind of like coping coping with stress and and that can feel like a lot to carry especially as you go um you know into into your 20s and you're building a life um and then it at least for myself has felt like i'm constantly playing catch up right everyone else is 10 years ahead of me and they're you know all settled down and i'm like yeah. piecing things together and i get that feeling right you're like constantly uh, uh, feeling like you're a few steps behind but what happens is when you're harmed in a system like not just people right that this is a system that is supposed to protect and when that system that is supposed to protect actually harms the natural response is going to be to lose faith and to not trust that system. And that widens out to other systems as well. Education, um, medical, broadly speaking, law enforcement. So when your lived experience is systems that are supposed to help harm, 
people live with that experience. If the months following release were confusing and tumultuous, how do these experiences hold up over years? Can survivors ever really overcome what they went through at Provo? Can the initial rush of being free carry them through the challenges of building a new life for themselves? You can't even describe it. Like, you can only understand it if you've lived it. And I, I've, I've lived it and seen four different programs. They're all ran the same. It's just like, it was very hard to ever trust people again after leaving these places because you see what people can be like and what they can do. Next time on Trapped in Treatment. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people, it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily Podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elia Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. Well, how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.